Talking Tennis with Linda Sirk. So, welcome to another episode of Talking Tennis with Linda, where I chat to those who make the tennis world go round. This podcast is powered by the Caversham Lawn Tennis Club, but is open to absolutely everyone, as my guests and the topics have worldwide appeal. Now, so far, I have chatted with an Amazon Prime tennis commentator, a BBC sports journalist who's covered Wimbledon many times, a top WTA tennis coach, and now it is time to chat to someone who actually plays tennis someone who competes professionally in the game and i can't wait to find out all about her it's hungarian women's tennis pro panna udvardi hi panna hi hi thank you for having me Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast because uh, p- personally, you know, as an amateur player myself uh, who's still learning the ropes of tennis, speaking to a pro is an absolute honour. So I will be grilling you in a few minutes' time. I hope you're prepared for that. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but uh, first of all, uh, you've recently returned from Argentina where you, uh, where you competed in the ITF Women's World Tennis Tournament there. So how did you do? Yeah, I, I was there for three weeks. It was a, a great three-week tournament. Um, I played the first week. I managed to win the doubles tournament. Um, uh, made quarters in singles. Second week, also quarters in singles. Um, and last week, I managed to play finals in singles and won the doubles. So it was a great three-week little tour. So I'm really glad I managed to do well. Oh, you sound like you've got such a glamorous lifestyle there. Going, jetting off to Argentina for a few weeks, you know, playing tennis and, <laughs> and returning to Florida, of course, where you are currently based. I just want to find out a bit about how you started out playing tennis, you know, going right back to the beginning. Uh, you were born in Kaposvár in Hungary. And as I said, you're now living in Florida. But how did you start out playing tennis in Hungary? How old were you? I, I was actually five years old when I started playing and um, at first, you know, my parents just wanted me and my two older brothers to just play some kind of sport. And um, at that time where we lived in, in Hungary in this small village, they had um, this new tennis club opening. So we decided to try it out. And, you know, I'm in the sport ever since and my whole family loves the sport you know my sister also plays she's uh, competing under 16 so I feel like now it's a whole family thing and everyone's just following the girls and um, yeah we love to be on the tour. You started out when you were five years old and you're now only 22 uh, but at some point you must have uh, been noticed or scouted to become a pro so can you talk us through how you then progressed in your tennis club and then you went on to Spain is that, isn't that right to train there as well? Yeah so I started when I was five and you know at the beginning it was just mainly for fun to you know get some exercise in and when I was about 11, we moved to Australia uh, for a year uh, with my whole family. And that's why that's when I really saw how the professionals train. Um, and that's when I really got inspired and motivated to be a, a tennis professional. And uh, when we got back to Hungary after that year, I started competing on the Tennis Europe under 16. I was eight, I believe, on the rankings. So I was eight in Europe. And then I I started competing on the ITF tour. So I started playing all the junior Grand Slams, which was 
one of the most amazing experiences in my life. And I think that's one thing that um, everyone who's playing tennis is, you know, that's the goal and that's what everyone's competing for, to play on those four big tournaments. So, yeah, and since then, you know, transitioning into the pro circuit, it's it's been a little hard and it's a bit different, uh, but that's where I am now. And uh, the journey so far has been been great. Uh, but just to back up just a little bit, so when you were playing in Hungary and you went to Australia and then you came back to Hungary, uh, were you coached at all? I mean, it, you make it sound as though you suddenly just became a pro, but of course there's a lot of work behind the scenes, <laughs> isn't there? So a lot of hours, a lot of money probably spent on on coaching. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so when we came back, I started working with a coach um, in Hungary for a few years um, but you know it's it's tough to to train in Hungary as we're such a small country and there are not many coaches that actually uh, trained many pros or they haven't really been many pros um, that came out from a Hungarian academy. So it's also hard to find girls to train with because everyone's mainly training abroad. So uh, when I was about sixteen, that's when. Um, we decided to move to Spain. So I trained in Spain for three years. I was there at Soto Tennis Academy. Um, and that was the point where I really, I would say, learned how to, how the pros train. You know, it's, it was really important in my life because I was still a junior, but I had big goals. So I would say that three years added a lot of um, good things to my tennis. And then I was, I, I went to Portugal for six months where I also trained at a really good academy in Lisbon. And now I'm in Florida. So I've been to a lot of places. Wow. But, uh, you know, everywhere you go, you can learn so much. And each coach brings something uh, to your tennis. So I think it's so important to experience even different countries. It's, um, I think that's been one of the best uh, things for my tennis. And what really impresses me as well is that from a young age, you seem to know exactly what you wanted to do, that you knew you wanted to become a professional tennis player and also the dedication of your family, your parents to uh, move over to Spain. I mean, that is pure dedication. So they must have seen the, the huge talent in you. Yeah, you know, in tennis, you, you kind of have to be all in or all out. It's uh, You can't be halfway in and you, everyone starts to play tennis when they're so young. And, and, you know, when you're already like 12, 13, 14, you have to start playing the tennis Europe's, the ITFs. And professional tour now, like Coco Golf is 15 years old. So, and there are more and more girls like that. So you have to start early and yeah I mean my parents were amazing they helped me with everything and I think without them obviously this this whole tennis journey wouldn't be possible so it's a lot of hard work and dedication from the family and from the player and that is quite a big risk they're taking as well isn't it I mean your parents investing all that time and all that money uh, moving overseas as well I mean that I mean big up to Mr and Mrs Udvardi there I mean that is fantastic (laughs) to have such faith in you that's great it's a big risk for sure that's wonderful wonderful but you know with tennis you can learn so much more than just playing tennis. You you meet so many people. You learn so many things. Uh, I I think you become more mature. You just learn how to how to be on your own and to do things on your own. So 
I would say even if it's it's risky, you you learn so much more, and you know nowadays you can get into college and and so many places just by playing tennis. So I think it's a great way to to start your junior career or anything like that. Absolutely, and also I was just thinking because you're one meter seventy, aren't you? You're five foot six. So did you already know, or did your parents know? Did your coaches know when you were a young teenager that you would become quite tall? I mean, actually, I did a test one time when I was about 12 and they told me I was going to be 160 centimeters, which is like 10 centimeters less than what I am now. So I don't know how that came about, but uh, they were quite happy when I hit the 170. So (laughs) yeah, it does help, doesn't it, with tennis? Those uh, those extra few inches there. Now, um, talking about you now as a pro tennis player, I would love to find out what a typical day for you involves, you know, literally from the moment you wake up, what you eat and how it carries on from there. So um, just to imagine that you're you know, preparing for a tournament, you've got a few few months. Uh, how would you go about your day? What time would you get up, for example? So my typical day starts around, I would say, seven o'clock. So I would wake up at seven, um, have breakfast and then I would start my little like routine mobility stretching and what do you um, have for breakfast when I'm, what I, I normally have either avocado toast or eggs or something light because normally straight after breakfast I do this little yoga or mobility flow so I don't like to have a, a big breakfast and straight after this uh, this little stretching I'm going to practice which is here in Florida, 45 minutes drive for me. So I drive 45 minutes to practice, normally practice nine to, to 12. I usually do a longer session, three hours, two and a half hours. And then after that, I, I normally have my lunch uh, salad or pasta with some kind of uh, protein like chicken or fish. And then I come back home and we have a, a home gym here. Uh, so I normally train in our own garage. Uh, I do my gym stuff there. Um, so I have my, my gym session, uh, stretch, uh, do all that. And um, then in the evening, I normally have a recovery session, which involves sh- stretching again or taking an ice bath or Ooh. you know going on the, on the Norma Tech or anything like that. And then I... Yeah. So it's it's a long day and it's constantly like thinking about about my body and what I need. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I have a nice big dinner and then the day starts again the next day. And you mentioned an ice bath, which immediately made me wince. Absolutely excruciating to have to get into an ice bath. How do you do it? It's the worst because I have to buy like so much ice and it's basically it's freezing. Um, and I need to be in there for 12 minutes. So by the end, I can't even feel my legs. But actually, after that, I feel I feel great. So the aftermath is it's great. It's just during that I'm freezing. So and so what you've described as your typical day that does sound pretty full on. I mean, do you have time for a social life? Do you have you no? Know, are you able to have a bit of wine in the evening, for example? Is is that completely off limits? Uh, do you have a relationship? Do you have time for any of that? Right now, it's tough because of uh, the pandemic. Obviously, it's it's hard to go out because we need to get tested every Wednesday when we go um, to a tournament. So so it's hard to let's say go out and and do 
do anything. Um, and especially here in Florida, um, you know, there are a lot of people going to restaurants, so I need to be a little bit careful. But uh, when I have a couple of weeks without tournaments, I, I definitely go out for nice dinner or brunch. But it's, it's not easy because during the week we're, we're training so hard or I'm training so hard that you don't even have time and energy to, to really go out. Oh, fair enough. But as you say, when the pandemic's over, you still are able to hit the dance floor a few times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what advice have you got for, say, you know, a total amateur like me? Have you got any particular tips on court? Do you have any advice that you yourself have followed and you think that's my mantra that's that's what's keeping me going uh you know that's what's keeping me level-headed to be honest like um i tell this to to everyone but i think the main thing is is to enjoy it and to be happy i would say that's the that's the priority and when you go on the court just give absolutely 100 percent and and go for it as hard as you can because at the end of the day you don't want to regret you know we have we have such short time I'm on the tennis court and you know the match can finish pretty quickly so I would just say like go out there enjoy it and give 100% and when you say for example when you're a few games down I mean do you take each game as it comes or are you someone that would naturally worry a bit I mean have you had any sports psychology training to to stay level-headed and to keep focusing on what's ahead? Yes, I'm working with, uh, with a sports psychologist for a couple months now. And I think that uh, changed a lot in my game and how I'm thinking on, on court because normally I'm actually playing a lot better when I'm down because that's when I relax and um, that's when I just um, go for it and go for my shots and uh, be a bit brave on court. And when I'm winning, that's when I usually get a little bit more tight and anxious and nervous. So we've been working on that a lot. But, you know, tennis is such a such a mental game. And I think everyone has their own little things. So I think it's just important to for everyone to to work on these things. I mean, since I've been working with the with the sports psychologist, you know, even small things like learning about myself and self-awareness, which I can use like on the court and outside the court so I myself uh, as again speaking from a complete amateur level I mean I can get very frustrated when things don't quite go my way and it's really uh, for me personally I find it quite hard when I'm a few games down to to not feel positive you know I, I find it quite hard to um, try and get back in the zone and win those points you know it's hard to to get rid of that frustration so it's uh, I'd be interested to know what how your psychologist yeah. has has um, you know taught you to reprogram your brain almost yeah I mean you know it's not a it's not a button that you just switch on and and you're all of a sudden doing it and and you're not frustrated anymore it's you have to learn every single week and sometimes you have to try different things out what works for you and what doesn't and what my psychologist tells me all the time is you know in tennis even if you're five zero down you're 15 minutes away from being five all and that perspective on its own, it's like, okay, I'm actually not that far ahead. Or even if I lose the set, you know, if I win the next set, then I can win the third one. So you should never give up because even even if it seems like it's impossible and you, you know, it seems like so far away, you're always 15 minutes away from 
from winning the set or coming back to the game. Wow, that is a brilliant bit of advice. I'm going to have to uh, take that with me, I think, when I next play a match. <laughs> And also, I mean, you sound absolutely lovely, Pana. You sound really cheerful and bright and, and, you know, really positive. So when you actually play a match, how do you get into the zone of, you know, a someone who is going to defeat their opponent? No mercy, steely-eyed, steely-faced. How do you get into the zone? <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes that can be a little tough because, like you said, I like to talk to people before my matches which is which is not that good because then how do you get into the zone so that's also another thing i've been learning you know that go away uh put your headphones on you know try and for me it's really important to to get my heart rate up before before any kind of exercise or, or my matches because if i get my heart rate up i feel like that's when my mind goes into a different place so that was one thing also we've been we've been trying to work on so i i get that that monster out of me, that intensity, you know, which I need on the tennis court and especially on a match. It's not easy, but, uh, you know, on the court, it's down to business. So you got to be a little bit uh, not nice. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And how much time do you spend researching your opponents? Do you watch any replays of their matches and things like that? Or is that more something your coach would do? To be honest, normally we do it uh, either together or we do it by ourselves. And then before the match, we come together and, and talk about it um, and see what the game plan is. But, you know, on the tour, especially playing uh, like 25, 60 Ks now, I know most of the girls that I'm competing against. But um, if I don't, I definitely go and, and watch some matches. I think it's really important to be as prepared as you can and, you know, it's great to see them play so you can just even visualize what you want to do against them. So that's definitely something um, I do before each match. And what would you say is your strongest point playing tennis? You know, for example, is it your serve? Have you got a killer forehand, killer backhand? I would say my backhand down the line. That's one shot that I love to hit. And I think that's the one that I, I love the most. <laughs> oh, that must be so satisfying. I wish I could do those. And I've also noticed, you know, back in the 80s, players used to go a lot to the net and do lots of volleys. You know, when they would serve, mm -hmm. they would run to the net. And I remember watching a few years ago a match against Taylor Townsend and Simona Halep. And Taylor Townsend mm -hmm. thrashed Simona Halep because Taylor Townsend would serve run to the net volley and would frustrate the hell out of Halep. You know, I think she smashed her, her tennis racket on the ground at one point. She was so frustrated and she didn't know how to adapt. For me, it was obvious, you know, can't just do a little little lob over Taylor Townsend, but that, I don't, don't think that was uh, in uh, Halep's game plan. So uh, is that something that you've been coached not to do as well? Or is that something that is part of your game? You're going to the net and doing volleys. I have noticed, as I said, a lot of women players tend to stay a lot at the baseline. Yes, I think women's tennis nowadays, it's everyone's hitting, um, you know, everyone's fitness is there. And everyone's hitting so fast and so hard. Um, so unless you have a, a great serve like Pliskova, who hits 15 aces a match, wow, um, it's tough because you know every girl returns so well. So if you're not there at the net at the right time, you lose the point. Um, so it's not something I would I would do, but I would definitely come to the net if I get a short ball and 
you know, I really like to be at the net. I play a lot of doubles. So that's something I, I really like to do. And speaking of doubles, it's a completely different ball game, quite literally, isn't it? <laughs> doubles and singles. Uh, obviously, with doubles, the tram lines are included uh, when you, when you win a point, and with singles, obviously, it's a much narrower court. So, how do you convert? And can you talk us through the differences in the game because they're vastly different, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's very different, and not just uh, tennis-wise, but also mentally. Um, I've been playing a lot of doubles and I really like to play doubles so I love the game but it's definitely it's it's a it's a it's a completely different game um so you have to be really good at the net and you have to know where you, to position yourself because if you're the net player you're getting 80% of the court it seems it seems huge but the good doubles players you know the most of the points are done in in two three shots because the net player uh, gets the ball and, and finishes the point. Um, so you have to know where to position yourself. And if you're at the back, you also have to know how to hit what kind of angle you should hit so the net player doesn't reach the ball. So it's it's definitely not easy. And it's it's a smaller target that you have to, even if the, the court is bigger, it's a smaller target you have to you have to play for. But I, I really like it. I can also practice my serve, which then, you know, complements my, my singles game. And, you know, I can practice a lot of things. So it's definitely something that, uh, that I think is, is great to, to play. And don't you feel slightly more under pressure when you're playing doubles? For me, when I play doubles, I really feel guilty for my partner if I make a stupid mistake. Whereas if I'm playing singles, <laughs> it's just me, you know, so I play with a bit more confidence when I'm playing singles. Do you find that as well? I mean, yeah, so on the important points, yes, you have, I, I would say, a little bit more pressure. Um, but overall, I think doubles is just a, like a more fun game. You can talk between points. You're, you're not alone, you know, like on the singles court. So I would say you're just a little bit more relaxed. And because you're not, because you have someone by your side, you're not putting as much pressure on you because there's someone else who, you can, who can help you. Um, and I think that's why also mentally it's a lot easier because you have someone who constantly, you know, motivating you and, and telling you only positive things. So I would say it's, it's a much more fun uh, way of, of pr playing tennis. And do you have those little hand signals behind your back? <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. That is so, I, mean, I find that so intriguing. How many would you have? How many hand signals would you have with your partner? So the hand signals, I normally just show where she should serve. And then she says yes or no, depending on where she also feels she should serve. And then normally then I tell her, okay, where, where am I going to move? Am I going to cross and try and get the ball? Or am I going to stay in my own, own spot? So there's like five different signs, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like learning a different language there, I mean, to remember <laughs> what, what each side means. And uh, so talking about your uh, future plans, uh, you've just mentioned another tournament. So how many tournaments do you think on average you would do every year? I would say I travel between 25 and 30 weeks a year. So 25 and 30 tournaments. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of traveling as well. It's a lot of weeks away from home. 
But again, to me, you know, a, a humble amateur tennis player, that sounds incredibly glamorous, you know, jetting off to another <laughs> tennis tournament, getting paid to do so as well. Um, you know, it sounds brilliant. So from from your side of of the field, I mean, is it glamorous or is it just, as you say, lots of ice baths and and a lot of, of uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears? Yeah. Um, you know, many people think, oh, we travel here, we travel there. Or like I was in Argentina now for three weeks. But to be completely honest with you, I was there almost a month and I didn't see anything of Argentina. So all I saw was the tennis club and the hotel. Um, so it's it's not as glamorous and not as you know fancy as, as people would think. And it's a lot of training, a lot of matches, a lot of recovery. You know, we're going there to do to do our jobs and and that's what we have to focus on. And then if we have time, yeah, sure, we can do all the fun stuff, but that's very rarely we can do that. And also you know, on the I'm 350 in the world now, so playing the the lower level tournaments, the 25, 60 Ks, it's um, it's tough. You have to pay for your your hotel, your travel, your coach, and on these tournaments, you don't get um, as much money as let's say a top hundred player would. Um, so you know, it's it's hard to to choose the tournaments also because some players can go to China and play those tournaments, which is, let's say, weaker because no one wants to travel and not many players have money um, to do that. And then, I let's say, other players have to play, you know, the tournaments that are local. So it's, uh, it's not, not as easy as it seems from the outside. And what is your ultimate aspiration Panna, as as a pro tennis player, uh, you know where do you see yourself competing in a few years from now? So my goal is this year to to play Wimbledon and play U.S. Open. Um, so that would be the goal for this year. For that, I would need to be uh, top two hundred and fifty. Um, and then the end goal is is to get into the top hundred and possibly top fifty. Um, so that's that would be the end goal. It's, it's going to be hard work and it's a long journey, but you know I, I believe I can do it if I if I keep staying humble and you know if I I keep doing the hard work. I think anything is possible if you if you put your mind up to it. It's interesting that you said um, if you stay humble. So what what is it about uh, humility that is important for you? I mean, you know, it's it's tough sometimes because you feel. You know, like I said, we, we travel a lot and, um, and you know, it's not often you, you see someone, you know, that can travel and, and you know, live this lifestyle that we lead. Um, it's, it's not easy. And we have so many people around us that's supporting us and helping us on the way. So I think we're, we're really lucky that we're able to do the job we love to do so. I think it's just really important to to keep our heads down and at the end of the day uh be just really you know thankful and and happy that we're able to do the job that we truly love and we're passionate about oh fantastic well Panna, we wish you all the best uh for your aspirations we're certainly going to be rooting for you you've got a new fan in me that's for sure uh so thank you so much again Panna udvardi thank you thank you so much Talking Tennis with Linda Sirk.
Johanna Udvardi there. What a delightful young lady. And I'm very happy to reveal that since the interview with her, which was recorded back in April, she has risen in the rankings, so she is coming to play at Wimbledon this year. So fantastic news. Congratulations there to Panna, and let's make sure we root for her this year. Now, if Panna has inspired you to pick up a racket and play on court, and you live near Reading in England, then come and join us at the Cavisham Lawn Tennis Club. We are a vibrant club with hundreds of members of all ages and all abilities. You can check out our website at cavishamltc.co.uk. Cavisham Lawn Tennis Club.